Welcome back, listeners, to another episode of ELN's inaugural podcast limited series. I'm Mary Malwad, your co-host. And I'm Melissa Lai, also your co-host. And we're excited to bring you with another episode on further investigating what leadership means, talking to some, some rising and risen leaders, and getting down to the question of, you know, what do we need to focus on when it comes to the leaders of tomorrow? What do they need to learn today? We're tackling some big questions with no simple answers. What makes a great leader? What qualities should we expect? What are some examples of strong leadership? Our guests will share their lessons learned and barriers they faced as we explore the many different dimensions of leadership. And in today's episode in particular, I'm actually really excited about this one because it touches on the concept of stepping out of the traditional, navigating the unknown, doing something that hasn't been done before. And I think for me personally, as a, as a child of immigrants, there is no rule book for how to succeed or how to develop a career. It's really, you know, you can follow what other people are doing, but there is an opportunity for you to be innovative and to step out of your comfort zone and to do the unexpected and build a career that makes sense to you. So, yeah. yeah. Miriam, you were, you were talking about this quote from Star Trek, which now got me intrigued, like going... Yes where no one has gone before. I'm not a Star Trek fan, but I will say- You should be careful. You should be very careful when saying that, but yes. That quote really spoke to me. And I I thought it's such a great way to frame this conversation that we are about to have. Yeah, no, I I always think when it comes to careers, now as an adult, I think younger, it's it's very easy to to emulate other other folks and, and to follow in their footsteps. But I think more as an adult, there is room. We are so privileged and we have the opportunity to to do the the less traditional path. You know, take more risks, be ambitious, be innovative in our careers. Not we talk about innovation in, in infrastructure, but I think we also need to be innovative in the things that we want to pursue and, and um, what our livelihood will look like. So just before we get started, just would like to note that this episode and all the episodes of this podcast were recorded during the summer of 2021, and in, and the information shared was set within that time frame. Any views or opinions expressed in this episode are those of the hosts, myself, Miriam, and Alyssa, and guests only, and do not represent the organizations that the individuals come from. So let's get to it. The episode topic for today is navigating the unknown going where no one has gone before. Yes, there is a lot of Star Trek themes in this. I will touch on it in the episode. It truly is new frontiers. That is the word, frontiers that have not been explored before when it comes to careers. Like I said, I'm very excited about this episode. I'm excited primarily because of the guests that joined us. They span different sectors, their experiences, um, the work that they've done, their thought leadership, their perspectives are all unique. And what really stood out for me was that they all pursued something that fundamentally meant, that fundamentally was important to them. Starting us off, we had Fenton Jagdeo. I met Fenton at Deloitte when we were both management consultants at the time. And I was just, you know, blown away by his conviction, his um, expertise, his, you know, passion for the things that he was involved in, um, both in the public sector and of course in the private sector. So you, 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 could really, you could really get a sense of the things that he was passionate about just by speaking to him. 
Um, he's a current co-founder of Faculty, a company that focuses on reimagining what grooming is, inspiring connection, self-expression, style, and confidence. The company has gained the attention of Esquire, Wall Street Journal, and GQ. Very, very important fact, he is also the youngest ever TTC commissioner in its 100-year history. Um, very big deal. And it's, it's exciting to hear Fenton talk about this particular experience and, and how he's been able to, to lend his experience and perspective into that role. Um, yeah, talk about another, going nowhere has, where no one right? has gone That's before. Exactly. <laughs> it's like the perfect, the perfect, perfect guest um, for this topic. Uh, followed up, we, our second guest uh, was Asma Shahsamand. Asma is also someone I, I met virtually um, during the pandemic, so we haven't met in person, but speaking to Asma and, and getting to know her, I was just struck by, again, that sense of conviction, her belief in you know, the things that she was pursuing, her expertise. You can clearly hear it that she has not only pursued areas that are what we would label as the new frontier, but she has pursued experiences that made sense to her and, and lent her mm -hmm. credibility and her professionalism into that space. She currently works at Accenture Management Consultant Firm as the Venture Lead for Canada. She focuses on developing partnerships and engaging key stakeholders from the startup and venture capital ecosystem with the aim to accelerate the transformation of her clients. Prior to her current role, Esma was the Digital Transformation Manager within the Canada Innovation Hub. So you can clearly see this intersection of technology, innovation, and startup culture is, is really the driving force, I think, of where Esma truly thrives. Um, she's worked with over 200 startups and supported promising startups to scale their business and create innovative technology that impacts human life. And uh, last but not least, we had Nuhela Shalhoui. Um, I also met Nuhela during the pandemic, lots of meeting people during the pandemic virtually. Uh, she is just a rock star, quite honestly. I was attracted to Nuhela because of the work that she does. It is so integral to pushing the, the envelope of innovation within Canada. And her connection to it just speaks, you know, you can just talk to her and you can see her passion towards the project. She's the current founder of Scale Without Borders, which is a one-stop shop for newcomers in tech and entrepreneurship. She's also the programs manager at the DMZ heading the Women's Founders Programs helping women entrepreneurs scale startups and create global impact. Her work in the space has garnered media recognition from the likes of Metro News, TechCrunch, and the Huffington Post. I can't stress enough, Alyssa, how much the pandemic has impacted um, small businesses, um, marginalized okay. communities that are, that are founders. It, it has just ravaged that particular community. And Nuhela's work, particularly with Scale Without Borders, is, is, is truly you know, one of those organizations that you would like to see more of um, because it, it really does push our innovative envelope. It really pushes the R&D platform, our innovation as a country. We need to have more organizations like this. And I think um, Nohela is, is one of those rock stars that, that's pushing that envelope. And I, I, again, can't wait to see where her career goes from here. What I love most about these three guests is that they're they're all very different in their various paths. But they, they to me, um, are very similar in a sense that they identified opportunities and they, they have a guiding light or principle that they abide to and they put their heart and soul into it to create new opportunities for others, um, as well as you know, learning and growing in the process. So I, I think it's such a great way of bringing different people and 
with different aspirations together. And it's one of those conversations where I was able to really reflect on, on my own career journey and, and why I do what I do. So I think listeners will particularly appreciate this episode because it's, it's an opportunity to hear from people why they do what they do and use that as an inspiration for themselves. I couldn't agree more, 100%. Of, of particular note, I'd like to acknowledge the land that I currently live on and work in um, and the rails that helped me get to my, my place of work and back home, the territory of the Mississaugas of the Credit, in particular, the territory of the Anishinaabe, Huron-Wendat, Haudenosaunee, and Ojibwe or Chippewa peoples. The land that is home to the Métis and more recently to the territory of the Mississaugas of the Credit First Nation. So I want to start off today's episode with a really cool quote from Star Trek series. I'm a fan of sci-fi and um, I think there's a lot of things to learn from the themes and some of the, the, the characters and, and um, storylines that go on. But there's a particular quote by William Shatner's character from Star Trek, so Captain James T. Kirk on the Enterprise ship that he says, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no man has gone before. Now, I think this quote can be updated to say, to boldly go where no human has gone before to be equitable, but um, this particular quote has been referenced, um, particularly in space exploration in the States. And I like to think of this quote just outside of sci-fi. There are many firsts that rising leaders are exposed to. Um, specifically in how diverse our societies and communities are and where they choose to take non-traditional career paths um, with regards to starting a business or turning a hobby into a profession or even being the first in their family to enter a profession. There seems to be no shortage of territories out there that have been uncharted and I think the journey is what defines some of our leaders and rising leaders to be. Um, so I'd like to take this opportunity to introduce our episode for today um, for this session, Navigating the Unknown, Going Where No One Has Gone Before. I think um, this, this particular episode is of, of high interest and I'm really excited to invite our guests for today. Um, we have Fenton Jagdio, ex-management consultant from Deloitte and a current co-founder of Faculty, company that focuses on reimagining what grooming is, inspiring connection, self-expression, style, and confidence. He's also the youngest ever TTC commissioner in its 100-year history. Um, I'm also joined by Esma Shahsamand, the head of Canada Ventures at Accenture and digital lead at Canada's Innovation Hub, truly a tech and digital leader. And last but not least, we have Nuhela Shalhawi, women's founder manager at the DMZ and the founder of Scale Without Borders, a one-stop shop for newcomers in tech and entrepreneurship. Wow, seriously, welcome everyone. I'm so excited for this episode and for us to kick it, kick it off. So I want to start us off, I think you would be remiss if I didn't give um, our guests the opportunity to talk about specifically why they do what they do, because I think each of you have unique careers. Um, you've charted these, these impactful careers that I think lean into thought leadership as well. Um, and so I'd like to give folks the opportunity to tell us, why do you do what you do? What is the mission um, of what you do? Because I do think it's mission driven, to be honest. So how would I how would I kick it off with with Esma first? Yeah, you know I, this is an interesting question. Um, I think um, look, I, my 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 background is very interesting. I studied accounting at Ryerson, um, uh, and and was really gung ho on you know pursuing the CA CPA route. You know I want I wanted to become a chartered accountant, and 
and I and I went through that route. I went to um, uh, I worked on one of the big four. Um, I was an auditor for a long time, but I think there was a point where I was like, you know what, this wasn't for me. And I and knowing my personality and who I was and where I wanted to be in my career, uh, and it was very early on. It really dawned on me. I think it was like late night hours and audit where I was like, you know, I don't know if it's it's not so much about the hours, but it was about the type of work that I was doing that really dawned in on me that I was like, you know, this is, I don't think this is for me right now. Um, I now work in um, the startup venture capital consulting space, you can say, um, mm-hmm. you know, Accenture being one of the largest consulting firms in the world. We, you know, we have a ventures group and our focus around that is to bring startups within uh, from the community to, to Accenture and then help them scale within our clients' organizations. So it's a unique um, model that we have and where, how I landed here is unique because I started after I left that accounting audit space, I really was interested in the startups, you know, in the startup fintech um, space. And I was like, what is this all about? How do I get my hands dirty? I spent some time at Ryerson helping out with, with the incubators um, and working there. And I think really that was my starting point where I, where I, where my hands got um, dirty and I started to learn really what it was. I think, you know, when I look back now, I would say the fundamental point in all of it was uh, the amount of knowledge that you can grasp and how much can you read to know about the industry that you're going into, whether it's a startup space, fintech, whatever it may be. Um, But I was like a sponge. I mean, when I look back, the amount of reading that I would, that I did, you know, if I look back at 2018, 17, 16, I read a lot because I was like, I needed to know what, you know, what, how you raise money, how the startup world worked, what were problems that were being identified by these startups? How were they being solved? What is unique about companies that reach a scale and companies that don't reach scale? How do you start differentiating between those two? Um, And so when I, when I was doing all of that at Ryerson, I think it was that, that sponge in me kind of took all that information. And then I reached a point where I was like, now I want to go and see how this, this startup world is disrupting corporates. Right. And so um, I, I, you know, I really never, I found this uh, role at Accenture and it wasn't really a role at that point. I think we started talking about it. Um, when I started engaging with people at the firm, I, I think Accenture is a fundamentally amazing place with great people that are always keen to learn about new people coming in. And that's how I got involved in it. Um, so, you know, fast forward my career at Ryerson and, and my work at, at, at KPMG before that, um, coming into Accenture now, you know, we got into this role um, on the Canada Innovation Hub, where we were um, really taking the latest and greatest innovations from the from various communities and bringing them to our clients. And then fast forward to that, I think it was a year and into Accenture, I was like, hey, guys, like, I'm really from the startup space now. I've been into it like the last seven, eight years. I understand it. I want to do this role in Canada. And we started to help kind of shape it. And I think that was unique. So this is where I am today with respect to, to the work that I do. One of the messages that I would like to put out, I think, for people that are listening is you really, really, really have to pave your career yourself. At Accenture, there's a there's a statement that they put out, and I really live by it now, is you drive your career. So it's in your hands as to where you want to go. You know, I just actually got promoted um, two months ago um, in, in June, and it, and it was unique because I've been there for such a short amount of time, right? I've been there for about two years and two and a half years, and, you know, and my promotion was because I really believed 
when I started, I was like, I want to get here in two years. I want to get here in three years. And it, I made those goals for myself. And, 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 and I, and as you start to achieve them, you're like, you find people in the firm and in the organization that help support you in building this dream that you have, or this journey that you have. Um, and I, and I think when I, if, if there's an audience that's listening, that's around, you know, starting out their careers, I would say drive out your own career. Honestly, I think there's fundamental things that you can do along the way that say, um, I'm different. What's different about you? What's your value prop? When someone's sitting across the table from you, um, how is someone going to remember you when, when you leave that dinner table, right? And so, and I think about this all so much now and say, even now, if I'm thinking about the next five years of my career, I want to start differentiating myself now. So Esma, like three things that I, I got from that, being a sponge, every mentor I've ever had has said the same thing, being a sponge. Like I, that is such a, such a useful and important tip for, for, you know, new professionals and rising professionals. I've always heard that from my mentors, being a sponge. Um, and I also really liked differentiation. So being able to differentiate yourself and continuously learning. So I, that completely resonated. Um, and, and I think also proactivity, like there has to be a level of proactivity from the professional themselves in pursuing these goals and being accountable and disciplined in setting timelines. Um, so 100% agree. And Mary, you know what? It's not, it, you know, I have to add on to this too. And when I say sponge, I don't mean like going and reading all the time. I'm mm -hmm. talking about a sponge with respect to the actions that leaders are taking in the community. If you have mentors that you truly love, that you truly are like, wow, I love the work that these folks are doing you got to start following these people, be at events that they're going to talk to them, understand their, you know, the process of where they got to where they did look hands down. I've done that kind of stuff because there are mentors in my life because that, that I, that I truly love because I love their principle that they live by. Right. Those are principles that I live by. And I think that when we look at it from a sponge perspective, it's not just the knowledge part that we're grasping, but it's the, the principle of how they live their life and professionally and personally that we're like, you know what? I really like how you, you've built your career, you know, how your personal life has shaped that and, and the struggles and the trials that you've been through. And you're like, I want to start mimicking some of the steps that you've taken because I like where you are right now. Absolutely. Fenton, I'll, I'll push the same question to yourself. What, what was that spark um, in, in, in your career pathway that like moved you towards that uncharted territory? Uh, yeah, Miriam, Mar thank you so much for, for having us here on this podcast. I'm really excited to be chatting about this because I, I hope that this provides some insights and some deeper thinking on what one, it truly means to have a career, uh, but more importantly, what you hope that career impact to look like. For me, as I start to think about my own career and, you know, Full disclosure, I'm still very much the beginning of it, regardless of the, the, the objectives or accomplishments that are on paper. I, I think there are three things that have sort of drove me to the place that I am today, because I don't necessarily look at my career as um, monotheistic or monolithic. I think that my career is a span of different stories and, and, and different areas that I walk and talk and breathe from the public sector to the private sector and everything in between. But regardless of where I am in those places, these three things come to mind. The first one is about representation. The second one is about creating a voice for those who don't have them. And the third theme is about resilience and a desire to not underestimate yourself. So I'll walk through these different themes as they relate to where I am today. And hopefully that sheds some more lights on this. 
representation has always been a very important um, element of life for me. And as I start to think back on my career, one of the major things that's, that has inspired me is, is, is going out into the world and doing something different, doing something to change, doing something that allows us to impact millions of people around me and, and around the areas that I'm interested in. And as, as, as I left school and jumped into the private sector and did my stint in consulting, you know, part of my goal was to take the knowledge that I had, represent that within the projects that I had the privilege of working on across North America. But that idea of representation started to really flourish as I started to think through my public sector career. I, I had the ability to go and do some work um, for a couple of political campaigns, which gave me that aspect of going out and trying to influence the way that our policies and our laws are written and driven. And more importantly, I took that experience and I decided to actually put my hat in the ring and, and do something with that experience. So I, I applied to be a board member on the Toronto Public Library Board and um, was successful in that endeavor and actually became the youngest board member um, for the world's largest neighborhood library system with 105 locations. Um, and at the Toronto Public Library, I also was responsible for guiding the Strategic Planning Committee, and we built out the 2020 to 2024 Strategic Plan about resilience and the new customer who we are catering to at TPL. But that idea of representation is a desire to take your ideas and thoughts that I'm sure are similar to a certain group and amplify that. Because as we see at the leadership ranks within bureaucracy and within the private sector, there, there, there isn't young person representation. There isn't representation from a certain ethnic group, despite the fact that from a purely statistical perspective, from a population perspective, there should be. And a desire to bring a different way of thinking that you can help democratize in a system that impacts millions of Torontonians uh, and, and, and by extension, the entire world that is the library. Now, from a private sector perspective, it's, it's a very interesting and unique story. And when, when my co-founder and I started faculty um, about a year ago, we set out on a mission to change the definition of what it meant to tackle masculinity. And masculinity is a concept that is breathed, lived by every single person, regardless of how you identify. And what we came to the realization of is that the definition of masculinity today, given Gen Z's predominant grasp on the world, right? This is a generation that is owning $140 billion worth of economic power for retail spending. Um, they're influencing everyone from, from me to my own mom, right? They, they're, they're looking for something different. And that definition of masculinity is changing away from um, disregarding masculinity or the negativity that comes with it, and instead figuring out a self-definition of what that means. And we saw that there was an interesting market to play here, especially around cosmetics, where that permission space for guys or people who identify with the masculine journey to use cosmetics just doesn't exist. So part of our job of faculty and why we built this company was to give people the permission to just be themselves in a world where stereotypes, um, classism, certain social constructs are impacting how you live, impacting what you breathe, the content that you take in. And, and, and that's so important to a healthy world that where we can be productive citizens is if you feel good in your own skin, you can go out and, and do the things that impact your community. So that, that was a sort of a long-winded saying, a long-winded a long way to say that for me, the big things were representation 
um, being able to take your voice and do something with it that's productive, and more importantly, being resilient and understanding that you shouldn't underestimate yourself or your skill sets, especially when you try to chart territories that haven't been charted before. Because in the case of faculty, we, we are trying to do what brands have either failed to do in the past or neglect to do because of fear bringing cosmetics to a market that has never experienced cosmetics before. And in my public sector life, especially around uh, building policy and strategies for these, these local entities, namely the Toronto Public Library, and most recently the, the TTC, you know, for me in that area, it's how do I take what my learning is as a, as a Torontonian, a local who, you know, has a little bit of sense in them, and how can I make an impact on the two million riders that are using this transit agency to get to work, to get to friends, to get to their loved ones on a daily basis. So I hope that answers your question. No, it does. And it's so interesting, Fenton, to see how you've worked in these different spaces, public sector, private sector, um, community-based initiatives. I mean, transit is, of course, connection and representation. Um, so it's so interesting to see your thought leadership and, and your desire to, to influence representation in these different spaces. Um, truly, it, it's, it's really interesting to see your perspective on that. Um, Nuhela, I'd love to learn more about the spark that drove you towards, you have a very unique um, intersection, I have to say, newcomers and tech entrepreneurship. I'd love to get your perspective on what was the spark that drove you to that? Yeah, absolutely. Well, it was, I would love to say that it's something that was planned, but it absolutely was not. Um, uh, my background is in political science. I studied politics um, at a, a university here in, in Toronto, and I never ever thought I would get into tech or entrepreneurship. Um, and I tried to pursue a traditional career path, um, but for various reasons, whether it was, you know, detours or other opportunities that came up, I ended up in tech and entrepreneurship. And I always say that the reason I, I, I joined that is um, the first time I joined a tech startup was when they were solving a problem that I was actually really interested in, even when I was in kind of like the political science and social science space, uh, which was supporting newcomers and refugees, um, except it was using tech. And so for me, it opened up this new, these new doors and these new opportunities and possibilities in really solving the same problems I'm interested in, but in a different way, which is through innovation and entrepreneurship. And uh, ever since I joined that first startup when I was 22, 23, uh, I've uh, never looked back. Wow, I love all of your responses because in obvious stories, you're, you're not only one of the first, but you're also paving the way for others in a path that perhaps may not have existed before. And these paths are so needed when it comes to bringing more people into the fold to in order to exercise their own voices and um, ability to do things. For example, in the Brookfield Institute a report that was published back in 2019 um, about Canadian women in the tech workforce, it's noted that only about 30% of the nation's tech workforce comprise of women. And that's not even taking into account um, intersectional identities such as race, ethnicity, or sexual orientation. Asma, I want to pose a question to you. 
what do you think needs to change in order to invite more women and frankly, more non-dominant heterosexual um, types of people into the tech space? Um, thanks for that, Alyssa. Um, you know, I've always said this. Um, I heard it at an event once. I think the issue that we've, you know, we always talk about around um, inclusion and diversity. Um, we've always had women around the table, okay? I think we all know that. So we're safe on the inclusion side. I think where we haven't hit it on the nail is the diversity and the types of people, to your point, that we've, um, that we haven't had a good amount of people on the table for it, right? Um, I think what we need to start doing is in organizations, um, they need to start benchmarking how much percentage that they want of people to be at certain levels. Um, let's say if we're, um, you know, we're saying we want 30% of our managers to be females or people that identify as women or um, from various other communities, right? I think when we start setting goals like that, like from there, we can have, have accountability. Now, you know, this does not mean, and I, you know, when I say this, there's people listening, this does not mean we just put people in positions. This means we, we're finding people that have the right skills that have um, that have identified and have worked through their career as very strong, intelligent people that are taking on these roles, right? But we have to start taking accountability from, from the leadership perspective in organizations to say, what are our numbers look like? How many people do we have from certain communities to um, and our leadership teams, whether it's from a manager, senior manager, senior director, and so on and so forth to the C-level, right? And the reason why I say this, and I firmly say this, is because it does not mean that we're just putting people, let's say, um, ethnic Middle Eastern women in seats, but we're saying that these people that are coming from this community, they have, they now have a voice at that table. If that's where we need to like really draw the line on it and say, we're putting people in these positions because one, they 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 worked hard for it, they have the skills. And now we're, we're just acknowledging more people to go into these roles, right? But the reason being is why was because now at that table, the people that are coming on from a variety of communities, whatever community they may identify with, they now bring, are bringing that voice to the people, to the table so that we can hear what their struggles are. We can hear the trials that they're going through. And most importantly, we can start hearing the successes of what those communities are having. You know, your comment really resonated because I just finished watching a documentary on Netflix called This Changes Everything about um, women who work in film and how difficult it is for them to, to cut through, cut through the, the glass ceiling, quote unquote, in order to get to where they are and to go even further. And even then it's not enough. And it struck me that when we say we're not getting enough people or representation, because we don't have people in the pipeline. It's really more of the lens that we are using. How do we characterize this competence, which I think not many of us are, are used to seeing things in a different kind of lens um, because there, are, there, are ta there is talent out there of all walks of life, um, but there isn't a will or the desire to rethink what we think is competent and what we think is skill when it comes to um, doing a good job. You know, and, and Alyssa, your, your point's so interesting too. It's it's the pipeline and you hit it on the nail, right? You know, sometimes um, I remember when we were, we were, when I was at Ryerson, we would have potlucks, right? 
and in that pot like people would bring food from from different backgrounds right whether you were Lebanese Arab um, Asian Afghan whatever you were you would bring food from that background and so all of those people would sit around the table and essentially bring that pipeline of food to the table and say hey guys like this is what we eat this is what we eat right and it's unique because it's the same thing when you're sitting around a table and there's decision making that's being involved and you now have the voices of a variety of communities if those voices are being heard because they, there's now that pipeline or that channel is now available to hear what the thoughts of these people are right it's it's so aligned to to your point on that absolutely Fenton, I want to I want to kind of go back to our time um, as management consultants at Deloitte. I distinctly remember uh, your audition to be one of TVO TVO's hosts, um, and now you know hearing about your experiences being in these different spaces, sitting on boards, and you know the youngest commissioner on the TTC in its history ever. And I think you touched on this in your answer earlier. How do you get over the sense of nervousness? It's a it's it's a great question, Mary, and and I appreciate you uh, shouting out my TVO uh, failed attempt at, at becoming a host. I that was uh, that was uh, you know it, it actually it not actually failed. Is, it's really good. I don't know. <laughs> well, well, I appreciate that, and I think there's actually a couple lessons to be learned there. Uh, but to answer your question around nervousness and imposter syndrome, there 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 are two things that I've that I've done over the last several years that I think has got me to a place where I can manage my emotions around both of those. Um, the, the, the first thing is understanding that everybody else is nervous too. That's, that's the first thing. And you, 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 you could be charting territory in several ways. For myself, I'm charting territory, new territories, because no one who, who has looked like me has done the things that I've done previously in the past. But if you're, but if you're a VP at a, at a you know, in, in insert your favorite massive publicly traded conglomerate, if you're a VP and you are selected to be an executive, you are for the first time trying to manage teams of upwards of a thousand people um, that you now have the responsibility to manage their careers, their livelihoods, what they'll do next. You may not have that exact same experience. You, you, you may not know exactly what to do, but you, you still have to. So everyone's nervous. No, no one is no one is perfectly comfortable, I think, at least in my perspective. I, I, obviously, Asma and Ohelia might have different perspectives on this, but everybody's nervous. Um, and when you, when you think about that, you start to realize that you're only human and everyone else around you is human too, despite the fact that they may have the presence of a deity, whether it's a Steve Jobs uh, or, or, or an Elon Musk or, or, or government leaders that we look to for, for protection, guidance, and insights. The second thing is reaction to failure. I think the majority of the world reacts to failure very poorly. Failure is seen as um, a badge of negativity. Because if you fail at something, it means you've done a horrible job, you, it was executed incorrectly, or you didn't get the result that you wanted. But on the flip side, failure is a double-sided coin. Because on one side, you've got the negative impression of failure. But on the second side, you have the positive of failure, right? And when we hear this all the time in, in the tech space and in the agile space, scale fast, execute faster the next time. When you fail, you've given yourself the opportunity to try something. And when was it ever uncool to try? Seriously, when was it ever uncool to just try something? The second thing that failure does for you, it gives you an opportunity to have a self-reflective feedback loop. I tried something, it didn't work. 
what can I learn from that failure? How can I take some of these learnings and apply it to the next situation that is adjacent to this one or a direct continuation of that said situation? And I think the third thing is failure teaches you so much about who you are and so much about yourself that now at this point, I look to failure with open arms because failure to me is an opportunity to learn something, to reflect on what I did. And again, like, when was it ever uncool to try? There was no way that a random management consultant could have gotten this role at TVO Kids for this new youth channel, right? Like, like let's, just, let's just call it a spade a spade. I've never been entertained before. I, I've never been casted in an activity at all. I have zero acting experience. I'm, I can barely talk, to say the least. But I still applied because when was it uncool to apply? And maybe I might learn something from this opportunity. And hey, made it past the first round, ended up getting to the second round, which then proves to me that we're constantly as a people underestimating ourselves, underestimating our talents, and looking to those who have made it, in air quotes, we look to them and say, wow, how did they do that? We see all the successes, but we fail to recognize that there are there is likely an underbelly of failures and, and, and chaotic incidents where they may not have succeeded but it's not how many times you fall, it's how many times you get back up. And I think that's what failure, if you embrace it positively, can teach you. I 100% agree. I think we need like an, an episode just to talk about redefining what failure means. I think we need to be more comfortable with the idea of it. And like you said, it should be cool to try. Like what, what, what's the harm in trying something and, and trying, you know, even if you don't necessarily have all of the qualifications checked off, you're exactly right. Why is it uncool to try? It should be. It should be cool. So I think there's a whole conversation around um, redefining failure. Um, Nuhela, I've I've um, I've admired your work honestly in the tech entrepreneurship space. We've chatted about this one on one, and I hope you know that I deeply admire your work. I think it's truly admirable, both at the DMZ and um, as a founder for Scale Without Borders today. Um, I think it's incredibly relevant. More so, the fact, um, particularly during COVID. Uh, post-recovery. I know small businesses were impacted. Um, and, I, and I'd love to get your perspective, how you dealt with this particular crisis. You know, how did you navigate, particularly when it comes to small businesses, they were impacted by COVID. How did you navigate that as a leader, as, as someone who's working in the tech entrepreneurship space? What were some of the challenges that you faced? Yeah, absolutely. So I think, um, Speaking of uh, fear and nervousness, when COVID just hit, for me personally, I was, like most people, I was really just concerned about family and health and, you know, things that are the most important. And I think that's that's really one big lesson um, I took out of COVID uh, or the pandemic in general is what matters the most. And here's what matters you, yourself. So yourself matters, your, your loved ones and your health. And frankly and your business comes second to you and to all these things that that matter to you and so and i think uh, ironically as well this really does um help you with your business in the long run because you start to really gain perspective and you start for to work from a place of you know of gratitude and a positive space as a as opposed to a place of fear and a place of scarcity and oh my god everything is going wrong so personally the way i 
I saw it for my my business. <laughs> Scale Without Borders has been an events-based business, so you can imagine. And we had our event planned. Uh, we had our event at Shopify. We're excited. Um, a bunch of events planned, and our next one was happening was happening in person, and then COVID hit. Um, so after that brief moment of of okay, what's going on? We just really thought on our feet, and we said we're a tech organization. Uh, all of the tech organizations are going to be able to switch uh, smoothly and transition smoothly virtually. They should be able to. We're in tech. And instead of letting that, I always say, I, I emailed our, my committee and I said, instead of letting that wave um, of that COVID wave, you know, crash into us, we're going to surf it. And so we, we actually ended up getting the most attendees ever because of our returning our, you know, going into virtual. Um, and same thing, you know, with my, with my full-time job, also switching virtual has been at the beginning, very, you know, it, it's been smooth, but for most companies, some of their revenues honestly went down to zero overnight. Um, I also had a, a, you know, a large contract being, you know, pulled out, but really looking at the positive side of things and really keeping things into perspective and being grateful for what you do have, which was food and being healthy and still being employed um, really, really, really helped. But over the next few months, uh, I think I speak for myself and for many, many tech startups out there, pivoting. We are the, you know, we're, we're all about pivoting. And we pivoted into tech talent, uh, which became super, super needed. Uh, we became a virtual organization. A lot of our activities have already been virtual. And we're stronger than ever before, than, than we were ever before. And I can say this is the case for many of our tech startups. Many tech startups have raised, uh, you know, uh, I'm sure Asma is also aware of this, um, a record number of, of, of um, or, or a record amount of capital over the past in 2020 um, as well. But of course, there's uh, there's a lot of uh, work to be done in the DNI space, especially because there's a more awareness that's, that's being um, that's being raised in that space, uh, but a lot of work is, uh, is needed to be done. Speaking of work not to be done, I think it's a nice way to, to wrap up our conversation here with predictions for, for the future in the, in the next 10 years. So if you could pick one area where you see rising leaders in the next 10 years venturing into and making their own way around this and making it their own, what would that one area be for each one of you? And we can do it around the table and anybody who has thoughts can chime in right now. Sure, I can, I can go since I was speaking already. Mm -hmm. um, I'm, I'm biased. I'm going to say <laughs> entrepreneurship. <laughs> I think, I mean, we're already seeing uh, people are starting their businesses. There are a lot more resources accessible than there have been before. Uh, there's a lot more talk about, uh, you know, diversity and inclusion. And so because of that, uh, a lot of underrepresented um, entrepreneurs or would-be entrepreneurs are now finally being um, engaged. So this is where I selfishly want to see the world go. <laughs> I think uh, for me, it would be, um, and, and, you know, and, uh, and Nuhela already hit it from the entrepreneurship side, but I think it would just be around um, data and analytics, like truly understanding 
where that where that is going to go in the next five to ten years we're going to see fundamental changes from you know our covid passports um that are connected to our vaccine statuses and whatnot how are we going to track things like that in new pandemics that are going to come in the next five ten years are we going to have data and analytics to to understand these things uh, before they happen you know how how are they going to analyze this how are they going to see it before it happens i think to me those are those that's fundamental I think over the next 10 years, one of the biggest issues that our youth is going to have to propel themselves into is the idea of water shortage. I think that the world's fresh water supplies are dwindling. Canada, the US by extension have some of those resources available to us, but they will be a scarce resource that we must find ways to protect, find ways to enhance and find opportunities to help pivot in a way that makes things sustainable. Over the last week, the federal government in the U.S. most recently talked about a water shortage in the Colorado River at Lake Mead, which has never happened to ever before. That's going to have a cascading effect on everything from farming to how we use water from an individual level. And I do believe that based on this and based on the conversations that we're seeing happen about climate change and the red code red warning that has been issued by the U.N., Freshwater supply is going to be the next big scarce resource, and we are going to have to find a way to manage all of that. And I do believe that that's going to be an issue that future leaders who are listening to this podcast <laughs> at least should start thinking about, because we could be in a very dire situation. Um, so we're going to close off our episode for today with a very quick rapid fire. One question for each of our guests. Um, this will really give us an insight into your personalities and characteristics if we haven't already figured that out by now. Um, so I'll start off with Esma. Um, what was the last book, movie, or podcast that resonated with you? Uh, I'm reading one right now. It's by uh, Eklatar Toll, uh, A New Earth. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, it has nothing to do with tech. It has nothing to do with entrepreneurship <laughs> or anything at all, actually. It's, uh, it, it, it really focuses around uh, the human life and, and, the, and the manifestation of our ego into our, into our daily life. I think that you have to really have a balance of how much you read around tech and uh, it, not just tech, but how much you read around what you work in and then life. Mm -hmm. um, and you, and I, I try to read a little bit more on the life side because I think that how we these books like, you know, like Ecotard and whatnot, I think they start to shape our brain and our mind and how we think to make the decisions that we do in our careers and our daily life. I mean, that book is just an incredible book. It's, you know, it talks about the ego and the self and how to truly live at peace. Um, that's the, that's the latest one that I'm reading. Next question for Nuhela. If you were hosting a tea party and you could invite anyone dead or alive, who would that be? Oh, that's a good one. Ah. Uh only one person no as many as you like let's oh, say five or three oh, to five three to five all right all right well i will invite all the women leaders i know so starting off by the michelle obama amal clooney um mm -hmm. <laughs> um i don't know emma watson that's as a well. strong tea party uh, exactly yeah, yeah. i want to be in too i know drink can i come still yeah, can i join <laughs> let's do it i love it um, Fenton, your question. If you could teach a subject in high school or university, what would it be? 
Oh man, that's a that's a hard one. Um, presentation building one on one. Oh yeah. <laughs> I'm 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 really I'm really good in the powerpoints. Um, PowerPoint. And I think <laughs> I think building decks. <laughs> yeah, and I think it's a I think I think it's an under under uh, under loved uh, uh, subject, yeah. if not you know, uh, skill set. You know, Benton, it's not so much about, I actually agree with you, it's not so much the building the decks, it's the storytelling. Like, how do you craft a story? Um, the narrative, yeah, exactly. the flow of it. I 100% exactly. agree. Storyboarding, like 100% agree. I'm with you. And that's it for this episode today, folks. Thank you for tuning in. If you like what you heard, subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcast, or your favorite podcast app. Don't forget to rate us and leave a review. We love friends and fans alike. You can also email us your feedback at info at civicaction.ca. Thank you to our guests for this episode. <laughs>